This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to another edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast Series. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Ryan McManus, the CEO of Tectonic.io, the strategic growth options SaaS platform. Ryan is a globally recognized expert, speaker, writer, educator, and advisor on digital transformation, emerging technologies, and the future of strategy. He has designed, built, and deployed new digital business for over 25 years, including serving as president and head of partnerships and corporate development for everything, the world's leading IoT smart products platform company, as well as Accenture's digital transformation business after roles as the Accenture Strategy COO and leader of the firm's corporate strategy and international expansion practices. Ryan is a member of the board of directors of Nortec Systems, the advisory board of CarLabs AI, the board of directors of the New York chapter of the National Association of Corporate Directors, and previously served on two advisory boards with the Aspen Institute. He earned his MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Ryan, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Ken. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. And it's it's a delight to have you. You do have an incredible background. And uh, as we were joking before, it's tough sometimes to fit it into uh, into the intro because there's so many different angles we could take with this. So uh, as always, let's start with your personal digital industry leadership journey. What is your red thread and how has it formed your perspective of digital industry? Well, thank you very much again for for having me. And um, I, I should I should say uh, say at the beginning that I'm a, a big fan of Momenta in particular because uh, of the history of everyone who who is with Momenta's uh, sort of serving as builders and and developers and um, and innovators. And I think that that is hopefully what my own red thread comes down to as well. My career has largely been about. Uh, developing, designing, and deploying new digital businesses, and in particular, uh, following the thread of emerging technology capabilities and what that changes in markets and in particular in business models. Uh, And so over the course of my career, I've had uh, the pleasure to uh, work in the early days of digital marketing through to more analytics kinds of focus areas, IoT, artificial intelligence, uh, and of course now the broader uh, market-wide kinds of changes that we're seeing with digital transformation and critically digital transformation to the digital economy, which is really this uh, th- this uh, this highly focus on on business models, um, and it's been fascinating. Uh, it's been fascinating because the markets have always changed the um, the evolution of capabilities, the evolution of strategy uh, has become very pronounced. Um, and it never really sits still. And so if you're a fan of learning, if you're a fan of uh, continuing to develop uh, these new kinds of ideas and these new kinds of capabilities, uh, you know, focusing in on on digital and digital industry has been a, uh, uh, or is really a terrific, uh, a terrific way to, to stay primed. Um, and then I'd say, you know, it just happens to have resulted in a number of, of interesting sorts of things I've been able to work on along the way, uh, some of which you mentioned, others, 
including a new accelerator named Concept that I'm working on, uh, serving on public and nonprofit boards, um, and even having the opportunity to serve as clinical faculty at places like uh, Duke CE and Columbia University Business School uh, as we try to help a broader um, group of executives and companies uh, process and internalize and understand the changes that are coming through the economy. You are a veritable renaissance man. I love it. All of the things that you are you are working on. And thank you for the nice plug for Momenta. I, I, perhaps we can say birds of a feather uh, sticking together here because I do uh, feel like there's a lot of synergies in the work you've done and, and we've done as well and, and certainly common interests. So let's let's rewind a bit a little bit and go back to your pioneering work with Accenture, uh, effectively leading their digital transformation practice uh, through 2015. What did you see as the primary challenges back then and and how has that changed now over those five years? You know, that that was a uh, a really exceptional opportunity uh, that that I had to work with the Accenture leadership on developing uh, really from zero their digital transformation business strategy capability and team. Uh, And it all came from a, a single conversation that I had with the Accenture strategy CEO and one of the senior execs at Accenture. And and the conversation was. Um, an observation that we had in uh, in co- in having conversations with a couple of different kinds of leaders at uh, at in- industrial and and client organizations, and it was basically more and more. And keep in mind, this is you know sort of 2012 uh, sort of timing, and so it was relative relatively early in this digital transformation market. Um, and the obs- the observation was that. IT leaders were asking us more and more about business strategy and business strategy leaders were asking us more and more about technology strategy. And so at the intersection of, of those, we conceived of this new uh, this new business and this new market, uh, which eventually uh, became a digital transformation business model and business strategy focus you know, relatively quickly. But it was really that very simple observation that uh, that these things were coming together into the same conversations and therefore that there was an opportunity to help organizations and leaders understand what was changing. And so some of the observations that uh, that came through that work and the primary challenges that we saw then and to a degree we still see now, um, you know, some of them are really pretty foundational, pretty fundamental. Uh, first of all, there was a lot of discussion and even dispute in certain cases about what do we mean by digital, right? For many organizations, digital was marketing or digital was, um, you know, e-commerce or digital was IT automation. And of course, those are all parts of the puzzle, but the broader impact and the broader market changes that have resulted from all of this digital stuff, this digital transformation goes well beyond a specific functional domain. At the time, very many people were anchored in specific domains because that was their familiarity with the applications of digital. Uh, that still holds a little bit today. I think it's 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 evolved ra- rather rapidly. Um, the second point, which is related and still very much a consideration, I think, is mistaking transformation for automation or mistaking automation for transformation, right? And they are related, but they're they're different. And if an organization stops with automation, which is a rather traditional uh, application of technology to business processes and, and driving cost efficiency, uh, it's important, but it doesn't necessarily change the game. And if your competition is changing the game, bringing new value propositions, new business models to market, and you're focused on automation and cost efficiency, you'll be able to keep up for a while, but eventually you're not playing on the same pitch. Uh, so that's still very much a big issue today. Um, and then the third 
a big challenge that that we saw, which is I think very relevant, is the need to translate this technology and digital stuff into really core economic and financial models, right? Because that's what drives the attention of the board. That's what drives the attention of the C-suite. That's how you actually create new strategies and business models, less about eyeballs on a screen, less about um, you know some of the more traditional digital uh, KPIs and the rest, but really how is this changing the business? How is this really evolving the organization into the digital economy that we're all working in and, and competing in? You know, as I as I look at your journey, and I like this idea of the intersection between uh, industry or enterprise, if you will, and digital, right? Um, and and that's where we tend to see digital transformation is digital is the catalyst for transformation um, versus being the purpose for it. Um, and and so I think about your work with everything company that we came to know well, and I think where we first met you, if I remember right, we uh, your your their their New York headquarters is actually sitting in the uh, in the uh, suite. Uh, office suite that one of our former um, portfolio companies was in, and that's kind of how we met. But they they are a leading smart products IoT data management platform, and I'm curious, what was your inspiration to join them at the time, and and what did you learn during your tenure there? Well, you're right. The office was right there in Flatiron, and um, and I believe that one of your portfolio companies was there for uh, for a while with us, and uh, it, it was a terrific uh, terrific place to work, terrific experience. Um, when I joined, you know, when I joined everything, I was really intrigued by the scale of the ambition. Uh, there are 10 trillion physical products that are produced approximately every year, uh, and we were going after about 10% of those, right? And so it was a mass digitization target, uh, and so this enormous scale of really digitizing a vast swath of the economy, I found to be super compelling. Uh, I hoped I hoped that I could make uh, something of a contribution to to that vision and to that ambition, uh, and I was very excited to be part of what um, what could be one of the biggest scale digitization events imaginable, and all of the new capabilities ranging from uh, you know traceability to supply chain to customer experience to blockchain to artificial intelligence and all of these things that we've become familiar with in the broader digital economy uh, being accessible and deliverable via physical products at scale, uh, just felt like a very compelling game changing uh, sort of um, of journey to 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 be a part of. Um, beyond that, I was particularly interested in platform models. Uh, platform models were really emerging at the time as the defining uh, competitive uh, model for the digital economy. Uh, I think that that's absolutely proven true and continues to prove true. Uh, and I wanted to uh, get back to working closely with uh, emerging technologies, hands-on with the data capabilities, the analytics, the AI, the IoT uh, stack, uh, as well as working very closely with engineers and developers again, which I had done earlier in my career. Uh, because in the end, I'm, I'm just very um, uh, partial to building new capabilities and building new businesses. And uh, my preference is to work with other folks who are interested in doing the same thing. But that that sort of data focused platform capability was strategically something that I thought was uh, was super relevant to. 
it's a critical step in the journey, right? Um, you know, running strategy before and helping other companies, as you say, build their digital presence. Uh, it's helpful to do that many times from the um, s- uh, say solid platform perspective, truly a, a SaaS platform in this case, uh, and and see how that becomes an enabler for a lot of different business models. Uh, uh, you know, as you know, we've been investors in companies like uh, ThingWorks, Litmus Automation, uh, Plat One, and others, and and it's interesting to see how the platform itself really can be a catalyst for uh, many times that digital transformation, you know, easily connecting things and then being able to uh, look at how business models might evolve around uh, that connectivity. Um, kind of moving forward, so starting a strategy, working, you know, on the the, the technology and, and I'll say the operations side, you joined forces with uh, Rita McGrath, uh, a renowned professor at Columbia Business School uh, and somebody we know well based on, I think you're past introduction, we featured it on our podcast, I think it was number 68 back in August of 2019, at the time discussing her book, Seen Around Corners. Your partnership with Rita, interesting enough, has culminated in a, in a recent Harvard Business Review article called Discovery Driven Digital Transformation, which I think you guys published back in, I would think it was the May, June uh, 2020 edition of uh, the Harvard Business Review. Maybe tell us a little bit about your key thesis in this uh, in this article. Absolutely, and uh, I've had the great pleasure of of uh, considering Rita colleague for for several years. Um, and along the way, we have uh, explored a number of different ideas. One is uh, an idea that I've been working on for a few years, which is that this broader digital shift is is really creating fundamental changes to the field of strategy uh, because there's so many things that are moving around. There's so many different um, competitive norms uh, that are really challenging the established way of considering strategy, developing strategy, executing strategy. And so that was one of the the inputs into into the thinking for for HBR. Uh, Beyond that, it was a relatively simple kind of observation. Uh, We saw the significant percentage of global economic activity that was focused, that is focused, I should say, on digital, something like 25% of, of global GDP. We looked at the massive amount of investment going into all things digital, several trillion dollars uh, over over the period of a few years. And then we looked at the incredibly poor delivery numbers and delivery metrics for companies. And it, it sort of it makes you ask a question, how is it possible that this massive part of the economy, complemented by these incredible capital flows and investment flows, are resulting in really very poor performance by the companies that, that are going uh, that are going after you know this sort of transformation. And uh, because it just doesn't line up with all of that capability and and investment and the rest. Um, and so we wanted to explore what really was happening, and then critically, what companies are getting right when they get it right. Um, and so the main idea, is that for incumbents, success in digital is not a big bang proposition, right? Big bang investments, big bang bets. When you're really, you know, uh, taking a, a a very firm multi-year uh, uh, position, um, is a little bit backwards when we start thinking about the speed and complexity and, and rate of change in the digital economy. That is, however, a normal way to think about strategy, right? So we. We basically look at a number of different strategic vectors. We choose one or two, and then we uh, go full force into those, and we expect that we're going to be right, uh, even if the journey is uh, is several years away. That kind of perspective 
worked in the analog economy because the analog economy was much less complex. The competitive set was much more stable. And critically, the speed of that economy was much slower than what we see in the digital economy. And so there's some nuance and some shift that we were observing with organizations that are actually getting this right. Um, and it's a little bit, it may seem a little bit contradictory what I'm about to say in terms of the pattern, but basically what we explored in the HBR article is that on the one hand, we always need this bigger vision, right? What is the ambition in terms of how we're going to change the business model? What is the ambition in terms of where our markets are going, what our customers want, the jobs to be done? And we should be looking at that and holding that uh, at the level that it needs to be, which is to say, for many organizations, representing some pretty fundamental changes. Where we discussed Klockner in the HBR article, Klockner went from being basically a steel middleman uh, distributor to being the leading platform company uh, and marketplace in the steel industry. That's a huge shift for a company in a sector which is uh, traditionally quite slow and quite uh, you know quite transactional. But that's the kind of ambition that we were really interested in exploring. Now, holding that ambition in mind doesn't mean that we know exactly what it's going to take to get there. And this is where the discovery-driven uh, planning uh, work that Rita has pioneered for so many years really came into play because uh, it really becomes this learning journey where we tee up a number of experiments, we learn, we pivot, we shift, we double down, we accelerate, uh, and we, uh, we look at the KPIs that we're trying to get. We may, maybe we start slowly, we bring the entire organization along with us, and we understand that it's going to take a little bit of time and that there's going to be changes along the way. Uh, but the critical thing is to encourage that learning journey, bring the entire organization with you as opposed to just a very small sort of SWAT team, if you will, of, uh, of digital innovators or you know an accelerator sort of focus. That doesn't actually change the mothership. Um, uh, as directly as, as sort of looking at this as a full uh, transformation across the business. So um, keeping that vision in mind, but then understanding that it's going to take a little bit of time uh, to change the organization, change the processes, change the culture, uh, but bringing the entire group along with you and learning along the way as to what works and what the new digital capabilities can deliver uh, is really what's core to getting this right. You know, I tend to think of things many times from a, a startup perspective because we're active investors. Um, and in some sense, it feels like this model is a little bit like the build, measure, learn loop that uh, Eric Ries uh, taught in his seminal book, uh, Lean Startup. Is there, is there similarities in terms of that level of discovery you do early on and, as you say, pivoting or the equivalent of an of a, a MVP product, if you will? I think that there's absolutely similarities there. And in fact, uh, you know, one of the great things that Eric Reese did with with his book is basically codify this model for startups. That being said, the underlying theory had been around for a few years and in, in, in particular, uh, you know, discovery driven planning had been uh, observed as part of an innovation capability uh, for for some time. But Eric really codified it for the startup community and market, which was becoming more and more important. And of course, it's it's really uh, stood the test of time. Um, so the underlying sort of theory there and model, I think absolutely there's a relationship. What we were observing with our article and what we observe uh, when, we're, when we're teaching, when we're working with companies, when we're working with executives, uh, is that this is now basically core to strategy, right? And so how do you apply that 
build measure learn loop to an incumbent, but not only in a traditional context of innovation or new product development, but at a business model level. And there's a lot more complexity. There's a lot more risk to doing that when you're talking about, you know, a mid cap or a large public company, for example, with all of the uh, the resources, the um, you know, the capital under management, the the scale of of the talent base and the rest. It's much trickier. It's much more difficult. It is uh, it's slower in most cases than applying it to a five to ten person startup. Right? It's just not at all the same level of complexity. But the underlying idea is is very much um, very much related. You know, we just featured Guido Jure, the recent chief digital officer at ABB on uh, on one of our podcasts, I think three podcasts ago, of course, discussing his experience helping, you know, that giant company make its digital leap. How do you think the sector and geography affect either the principles or approach of discovery-driven digital transformation, i.e., if I'm AB, would I do it differently than Procter & Gamble as an example? Yeah, I think that this really gets into some of the uh, some of the fascinating geopolitical aspects of uh, of this broader shift to the digital economy because there's clearly differences in market structures, differences in incentive opportunities, differences in governance, uh, regulatory requirements, um, access to either government grants or capital or sovereign wealth funds or all these kinds of things. All of this plays in to the broader. Uh, global competitive set that organizations are are dealing with. Uh, and so a couple of observations here. Number one, when we're dealing with industry, uh, capital intensive, asset intensive businesses, it is by definition harder and slower to drive the nature of transformation and, uh, and new capability development than in a purely digital, call it software or platform kind of business, right? When you're only dealing with ones and zeros, you can be as fast as you can possibly be. When you're dealing with physical product and manufacturing lines and uh, uh, and you know, large architect architectural design and, and you know building new uh, factories and all these things, it is just by definition harder and slower. And I think we've seen that in the overall pace of the development of the IoT industry, for example. Uh, We've definitely crossed the threshold in terms of the inflection point where uh, the majority of physically focused or manufacturing or industrial focused companies are now actively pursuing IoT. We are well beyond that. Uh, and we're going to see, I think, an acceleration of some of the more um, new value proposition focused kinds of strategies and investments as the foundations of IoT and automation uh, uh, around IoT become commonplace and core, uh, but it has been a little bit slower than some of the other sectors that people would be familiar with, like media, entertainment, uh, you know, pure data kinds of kinds of plays. Um, but it's going to be driving a lot more interesting things, I would I would argue, as we move forward, especially at the intersection of IoT and AI and blockchain and, and some of these other uh, emerging capabilities. Um, so there's a there's a there's some core things to be aware of just in terms of the sector uh, complexity that, that this kind of thing represents. From a, geo, from a uh, geographical perspective, again, you know, regulatory data privacy, uh, uh, different access to capital, those sorts of things are very important. But overall, the thing that where I see the biggest difference is in the national culture around growth and innovation. Uh, and we all know very well that there are some places in the world that really drive ahead of other uh, of other places, particularly on a country or a regional level, 
Um, that has been consistent over time. Uh, and really the reason that they can do that are a couple. First of all, there is a, you know, there's a, uh, a community of people who are focused on creating the new, who are focused on paying it forward and all that kinds of stuff. Uh, but then there's also the market capability to provide incentives for entrepreneurs and innovation. Uh, if that is not there, uh, and it's not there in a number of of, uh, of, of companies or sort of countries around the world, if that incentive structure is not there, it's very tricky to expect people to take risks uh, in terms of building new businesses, trying to bring new capabilities and value propositions to market. Where it's there, people are incentivized to take that risk and to go build. Uh, and I think that that's really the the um, the bare bones in terms of which geographical uh, areas really lead the way. You know, another angle on this is certainly the people or leadership angle. So, you know, our exec search practice focuses on digital leadership, chief digital officer roles like like Guido's as an example. What do you see as the key characteristics of effective digital leaders? So I think it's important to understand that effective digital leaders have a new complement of skills to traditional management, even traditional leadership skills. Uh, the number one question that I encourage executives to ask when they're uh, either looking to hire a, a chief digital officer or onboard a new d a director to their board who uh, should be uh, the, the the sort of leading digital voice on the board or even working with consultants and advisors or partners. The number one question that I encourage is to ask individuals and the teams is what have you built, right? Because in my view, digital transformation and digital leadership really requires having gotten your hands dirty building out new businesses, building out new capabilities. This is different than building a team. This is different than automating a process. This is different than you know reading the literature and sort of doing PowerPoint decks, uh, if that's all that one has ever done. You can't really understand what it takes to transform and create new value propositions and create new business models if you haven't done it, right? It's, it's a very sort of black and white consideration in my, uh, in my experience. And so what have you built, I think, is, is a very interesting, salient sort of surgical question to ask. And it's fascinating to, to understand uh, uh, how people respond to that. Um, but I think that that's really the key. Uh, there, there, In my view, there are four areas that, uh, that effective digital leaders uh, should have experience with, which go beyond traditional management and operational roles. Uh, clearly building, right? And it doesn't mean that you've built startups, but it does mean that you've maybe built new products, new business units, and, and undertaken that journey from um, you know, ideation, incubation, development, deployment, and you understand what those phases are, having that hands-on experience, uh, critically, of course, with data-driven uh, businesses. Uh, and then there are three other areas. Um, I call them explorer, catalyst, and connector. Uh, and so very briefly, to be an explorer means to be continuously learning, continuously um, experimenting with new capabilities, new value propositions, new teams, uh, and really uh, understanding that the world is changing so quickly that things that we used to have confidence in in terms of our knowledge base maybe have a significantly reduced shelf life, right? Uh, and so a big part of what digital leaders do is not assume that because something worked a couple of years ago that it's going to continue to work. They're always exploring for the new capabilities and what's changed. Uh, next, being a catalyst, this means being able to drive the change throughout the organization, being able to bring people together, uh, being able to 
set new KPIs, uh, demystify all of this digital and technology stuff in order to bring uh, a broader organization, in particular leadership teams and the board, uh, down through management and eventually cascading it. But being that catalyst for change uh, is a critical uh, sort of responsibility. And then finally, the idea of being a connector. Um, and this, I think, gets into an area which eventually, eventually, this this will go away. But but right now, there's still a little bit of reticence, I think, in terms of uh, mid management all the way up through senior leadership uh, kinds of roles. Because one of the things that's happened over the last several years is that digital has gone from being a back office sort of IT digital marketing kind of focus in many organizations, in particular in industry, to being the most important driver of strategy and business models, and many people are not digital natives, right? And so if we engage in technology first terms, uh, if we use some of the jargon of technology and you know neural networks and you know blockchain nodes and these kinds of things, which are basic ideas if you're fluent in those topics, but can be really um, off-putting if you're not, if that's the first engagement with executives, then we risk really shutting them down. Right, and so being a connector means also understanding what it takes to demystify all of this technology stuff, put it into accessible terms, put it into actionable, strategic, and um, and business-driven outcomes, uh, and that really opens the door to a broader set of leaders being able to engage. Uh, even if they don't know all of the ones and zeros that actually drive the underpinning uh, technology capabilities. Builder, explorer, catalyst, connector. It uh, probably explains why it's not so easy to find truly, as we like to say, catalytic chief digital officers, uh, and especially for larger corporations, you know, that, that uh, well, especially those industrial ones. Um, I, I take it you guys wrote the HBR article or started writing it um, before the 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 true impact of uh, COVID. And in some sense, COVID-19, we've observed or kind of tongue in cheek, we've called it a digital accelerator because we've seen the impact on it on digitization in many different forms, uh, at, at the very least of which, of course, is, you know, remote working, right, which we're all doing now. If you had to go back with Rita and rewrite the HBR article again now, kind of with the last nine months in mind, you know, how would that article change? Well, I think that there's there's a few things, and obviously, you know, COVID nineteen has changed so many uh, so many aspects of our lives and, and of the economy um, that it's it's hard to ignore how important digital has been to the overall sustainability of of, uh, of business uh, around the world. Um, and as you say, you know, remote work is the most visible and probably the most democratized uh, aspect of that. Uh, in my view, there's some risks there. there. There's some great things that have happened. On the one hand, companies have learned how quickly they can adapt, how quickly they can access and deploy at scale these new digital capabilities. And that is not a small realization. One of the things that we really try to focus on in some of the, for example, workshops and executive development uh, courses that we do is to give people hands-on experience that allows them to have confidence that they can engage and do things differently, right? That's really, really critical to uh, enabling an organization. And so COVID-19 to, to, with remote work is, has delivered that at scale. There's a risk there though. The risk is that people think that that is what digital transformation is. When basically what we've done is automated and virtualized meetings uh, in, in, in general, right? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of where a lot, of, a lot of this focus has been. And so if we 
if we equate digital transformation with the COVID-19 context, we, I think, risk missing the forest through the trees sort of thing uh, and, and, and hope that we're going to go back to how things were before COVID-19, which is absolutely not the case. Now, as this crisis has continued, you're seeing a lot more focus on digital twins, a lot more focus on um, on different SaaS capabilities to drive remote, non-traditional ways of working, a lot more focus in terms of um, uh, uh, automation of even in, in, in of large industrial capabilities and, and services and, and deployments. And so it's absolutely driving more there. And I think that we would have explored that. Um, but overall, I think what we would have looked at for a rewrite is really a one more one more stage of exploration which is which is around what wins because what wins in the digital economy is the combination of speed and scale startups are super fast they don't have scale incumbents have scale but traditionally they're not super fast right and so that intersection of speed and scale uh, in my view is really what changes the game and what creates significant competitive pressures on uh, on players who don't have one or the other right and so how do you affect that how do you target that how do you develop that capability um, in line with the broader discovery driven approach I think that that would have been uh, you know really the uh, really the the remaining piece to explore and then covid 19 contextually is what I mean, it basically is the, it represents the intersection of speed and scale. And so I think that's how everything would have linked together. So I guess kind of summarizing all of this together, what would you say are the, the new capabilities organizations need to really be good at to be successful in the digital economy? Well, I think, you know, this question really brings together a lot of what we've, what we've talked about so far. Um, Again, in, in my view, strategy itself is changing. Uh, the models, the frameworks, the approaches that people are familiar with uh, in terms of leading strategic practices, uh, almost 100% of them were conceived of and for an analog economy. And again, the analog economy was was slower, was easier to understand, was uh, was much more codified and much less um, it had much less uncertainty. That was just the nature of it compared to the digital economy. And so when we're competing in the digital economy, we, which we all are, we need to understand how all of these things have changed. Critically, capital flows and investment flows are very, very different in the digital economy than they were in the analog economy. Uh, just very briefly, in the analog economy, it was pretty linear. Right, investors put money into corporations. Corporations built new products and services and businesses, and uh, you know basically deployed them. And the competitive set was relatively static. In the digital economy, investors, uh, of which there are now many more, by the way, um, are putting money into startups and incubators and accelerators and corporations and other kinds of uh, other kinds of vehicles. And the end result is hundreds if not thousands of new competitors hundreds if not thousands of new products and services that uh that an incumbent needs to be aware of that scale is not normal right that scale is not what was anticipated in the traditional analog strategic sort of world and so what does that mean again we come back to this idea of of speed and scale and i should say with all of the conversations i've had 
with executives, I've never heard an executive say that they don't want to do this, right? That they don't want to transform, that they don't want to be a digital leader. Everybody wants to do this, but they don't necessarily have the tools and capabilities to do so because they, they're not digital native organizations. And so understanding that there's some new capabilities to bring in actually is what we're, uh, what we're trying to provide with the Tectonic SaaS platform. Basically, this idea of driving many experiments at speed the the smaller sort of financial investment bets that we that we described in the HBR article, uh, but then critically understanding what are we getting for that investment? What is the performance? Not only once it's in market, but what are we learning along the way? How do we become much more dynamic? How do we reallocate resources, both financial and talent, much more quickly? Uh, and how do we create? a new strategic capability that is focused on growth investments and basically treating growth investments as financial options, right? Modeling them similarly to uh, financial options because that's where the speed comes from. So whether it's innovation domains or accelerators or corporate venture capital or M&A or new product development, all of these areas become very important when you're transforming into a digital business model uh, and there's really no capability to instrument those across that entire growth portfolio in a way where the people controlling the budgets can understand what we're getting for, for the investment, what are the patterns, what works, and how do we do this very, very quickly to keep up with the pace of our new competitive market. You know, at the very end of uh, Guido Jure's interview, um, I was fascinated. We asked the question, what would you do differently, you know, if you were, you know, going back in to start the role again? And and he mentioned venture studioing, and they should have done that earlier. And it's interesting because we've worked with a number of large industrials on venture studios. And uh, and um, it, it seems to me it's coalescing in, you know, in the same model you're talking about as well. And, uh, and interesting to see, you know, the move toward more, uh, you could say outside in or inside out innovation uh, in, in that sense. So um, look, in closing, can you provide recommendations of people, books and or resources that inspire you? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, first of all, I, uh, I mean, I, I'd give a, a definitely a recommendation to Momenta's podcasts and newsletters. I think, in particular, in in at the intersection of industry, IoT, and AI, uh, they they are really terrific, and I look forward to reading them every time they come out. Um, from an academic perspective, I think it's McAfee and Bernolson from from MIT have really uh, written uh, the the most important books on the broader sort of machine age topics. Uh, for people who are interested in understanding more how to think like a startup, which is not necessary uh, for all incumbents, but it's, it's, it can be very instructive in terms of uh, the different intellectual models and frameworks that people apply. The Y Combinator videos and articles are super uh, helpful. Uh, you mentioned Venture Studios, again, Momenta, Mach 49, uh, different groups resources there. And then for the broader uh, sort of digital transformation and uh, uh, and new strategy capabilities, uh, we've actually created a couple of uh, webinars uh, with Duke CE as well as masterclasses on those topics. Uh, and so Duke CE would, would be a, 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 an interesting resource for executives as well. Great. And uh, we'll include links on those um, when we publish this uh, podcast. We always transcribe it and then include links for uh, all of these references. So thank you so much. Ryan, thank you for uh, this insightful interview. My pleasure. And thank you, Ken, very much. Uh,
for having me. Uh, as I say, I, I'm just I'm a huge fan of Momentum's business model, and you've created a terrific team uh, of people who've actually done the work of building and bringing these new value propositions to market. And so that that I think is really the uh, really the key to getting this right is is having people on on your team or in your uh, in your ecosystem who can help you along the way who've actually done it. So uh, real real pleasure and privilege to be with you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for that kind plug. We like to consider ourselves practitioners first, and uh, so it definitely speaks to the, uh, you know, uh, rolling up the sleeves element. So, this has been Ryan McManus, CEO of Tectonic.io, uh, and uh, the co-author of the uh, discovery-driven digital transformation. Uh, article in HBR. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our digital industry leadership series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.